The following message is by Pastor Steve Lee of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. How are all of you doing? Um, it's been really strange for our family personally to uh, go from a lifestyle of being so busy uh, so that at any given moment, Betty and I are, aren't even sure where our kids are half the time, um, to now being in the house together all the time. Um, it's been hard to also strictly enforce this uh, no hanging out with friends rule for our kids as they've been going stir-crazy being in the house all day. Uh, in the evenings, as a family, we've been doing all kinds of activities together, whether it's uh, painting uh, doing puzzles together, or even making these silly TikTok videos, uh, or just talking with each other. Having the kids around the house all the time has really brought back memories of us living in Kenya, when there was really nowhere to go outside of the house because we lived in such a remote area. No shops, no restaurants, uh, no theaters that we could go to, and so uh, pretty much our family spent all of our time together in the house, and it's brought back memories of that time. I'm sure many of you are running out of ideas of how to keep your kids preoccupied. It must also feel strange to wake up on Sunday and realize that you're not going to go to church. I could never have imagined that we would be in a moment like this, uh, unable to gather in person, and so uh, here I am preaching uh, in an empty sanctuary. Although we can't see each other in person because of these social distancing restrictions, I want you to know that as a church leadership, we're really working hard to try to figure out all the different ways that we can try to promote community uh, in our church during these difficult times. And we'll have more to share on that in the days to come. A friend of mine had just gotten back from a two-week trip to Thailand um, where he was doing some leadership training for church planners. And he sent this message uh, once he touched down back in the States. He said, uh, I returned to a new world, a new reality. Everything has changed. And I think all of us would agree with those words, that in just a matter of a couple of weeks, our entire world has changed right before our eyes. And on the one hand, a big part of dealing with this crisis, at least as we've been experiencing up to this moment, has been really in some ways just managing boredom, trying to come up with creative ways to spend long hours cooped in our house. But on the other hand, there is a deadly serious aspect to this crisis. As this COVID-19 virus spreads throughout our communities, like an invisible killer. For weeks, public health experts have been warning us that these days were coming. But I don't think any of us were prepared for what it would actually be like to go through this experience. As of the moment of us recording this message, there have been 422 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in Illinois and four deaths. And the experts are telling us that it's only going to get worse before it gets better. It's been actually a really eerie and unsettling feeling driving to work 
each morning with only a, a fraction of the normal morning rush hour traffic that I'm used to. And it almost feels like there's this dark and ominous cloud hanging over us as we all collectively hold our breaths, wondering how bad it's going to get before all of this is over. And the truth is these are uncharted waters for all of us. As a parent personally, I agonize every time my daughter, Noelle, leaves for work. She's been working as a nursing assistant at a local hospital before she heads off to start her medical school training next year. And the nature of her job requires her to be in constant, intimate contact with patients. And some of you are in healthcare-related fields. And every day you go to work, you know that you are being exposed to the virus. I also know that for some of you, your workplaces have been affected with coworkers who have tested positive for coronavirus. And you wonder whether you might have gotten it yourself. Will I be safe? Will my kids be safe? Some of you are also really most stressed by the situation with your jobs or your businesses that have been greatly impacted by this outbreak. And you're not sure what your financial situation is going to look like when all of this is over. And so in light of this Corona-19 crisis that we're experiencing, I want to talk today about the way that fear can control our hearts and how we respond to that fear with faith. And so before we look into the word, let's just begin with a word of prayer. Father, though physically we are not here together as a congregation, I pray for our church, the body of Christ, and not just our congregation, but for all your congregations that are experiencing the same thing together, that as we worship apart from one another physically, through the work of your Holy Spirit, we would be united as one contending in one spirit to lift one another up and support each other during these difficult times. And not only for one, of one another as the body of Christ, but may we even in this moment shine as your light to this world to let them see what it means that Christ has come into our lives and given us a new hope. And may we represent that hope well to a world that is experiencing so much anxiety, so much fear and worry in this season. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to begin by saying that there is such a thing as a healthy fear. A healthy fear can keep us safe from harm and alert us when danger is near. Without a healthy fear, we can make a lot of bad decisions that in the end will hurt us. All of us need to have a healthy fear during this crisis in order to prevent any unnecessary deaths. A Boston ER physician uh, had months ago planned on a really big 30th birthday celebration in Miami with five of his closest friends. But when it finally came time for the trip, the coronavirus had already reached the U.S., And despite all of the warnings, they decided to go ahead with the trip. And so they went for 
a week-long celebration of dancing and partying in all kinds of packed bars and clubs and even a music festival, thinking that this would be their last chance to party before everything would be shut down because of the virus. And within days of returning, all six of them began to show symptoms. Four of them have already tested positive for COVID-19. And it's frightening to think how many people they could have infected on that trip. Asked how he felt after the fact about this social distancing guidelines that they kind of laughed at initially. He said that it angers him now to see all his friends posing for selfies on cheap flights, going to bars and even hosting uh, what they're calling quarantine parties, inviting dozens of people to their house. He was quoted in the article saying, you need to self-quarantine now. I can't stress it enough. I've never been so angry about people not following the rules. There's just no way to prevent this from getting to every corner of the country unless you self-quarantine. It's too bad that he gained that wisdom after what had happened in Miami. Again, there is a proper place for fear in our lives, especially in the face of this global pandemic. But at the same time, we know that there is also what we could call an unhealthy fear, a fear that can have destructive consequences in our lives. Dan Allender and Trumper Longman write, all of us fear what we cannot control. Fear is our response to uncertainty, about our resources in the face of danger. When we are assaulted by a force that overwhelms us and compels us to face the fact that we are helpless and out of control, fear is provoked when the threat of danger exposes our inability to preserve what we most deeply cherish. As Allender and Longman point out, fear exposes what we cherish most. Anger is another common response when we feel violated or threatened. But responding in anger usually means that we still have some sense of control or power over our situation. In other words, anger is aggression. Anger empowers us. It motivates us to action, to deal with the threat, to exert our will into the situation. But the fear response is really different. We become consumed with fear when we feel helpless. As Allender and Longman point out, fear arises when we realize that we don't have the resources to respond to the danger that threatens us. And so fear leads us to withdrawal. Fear leads to flight. Listen to how the psalmist describes the way fear has gripped his heart. In Psalm 55, I'm going to read from some select verses, from verses 1 to 8. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me, and I am distraught. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. 
I would hurry to my place of shelter, far from the tempest and storm. The psalmist's instinct is to run away, to do anything that he can get, to anything he can do to get out of this situation that is terrifying him. There is no sense of fighting or even enduring. He is crippled by his fear to the point that in his desperation, in his helplessness, all he can think about is escaping his current situation. There is no sense of hope or even a sense of greater purpose to what he's going to. And that's what fear does to us. It reduces us into an almost animalistic desperation of, I just need to survive this situation. I just need to get through this in any way that I can. And that's not a good thing. That is not a healthy condition of the human soul. So then what is the solution to our fears? The problem is that in the, unpre- in the predictability of our everyday lives, all of us suffer from this illusion of power and control. This is especially true, I think, in America, where it feels like we are immune to the struggles and uncertainties that most other nations have to face. Proverbs 18.11 says, The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. I think this applies so well to our attitude in America. Our wealth has become like a protective wall around our little kingdom that we think no danger can ever penetrate. But as the proverb points out, it's only in our imagination because it's actually an illusion that we're safe and that we're protected. Back in 2002, when the SARS outbreak was spreading from China and then to other parts of the world, I think the truth is most Americans observed it more with a curiosity than with any fear. In the same way, the Ebola crisis in 2014, we thought of as an African problem. And as long as we made sure that no one there would make their way to the U.S. and infect us, we felt secure. Even at the start of this current coronavirus epidemic, we saw it mostly as a China problem. From early on, though, the epidemiologists were warning us that the virus would spread beyond Asia and eventually reach our shores. But I don't think many of us, at least back then, really believed it. And then we watched as the virus ravaged Italy, overwhelming its healthcare system, forcing doctors to make impossible decisions about who gets to live and who will die because there just were not enough beds for the critically ill. But I think most of us, again, still thought this could never happen in the U.S. But now, here it is at our doorstep. And the doctors who are on the front lines are warning us of how bad it's about to get, shattering our illusion of power and control. So is that a good thing? I believe it is if it leads us to a fear of the Lord. 
I think in desperate times like we're experiencing right now, the instinct is to look for assurances of God's comfort to help us with our fears. But I believe that what we need in a time like this is to be grounded not only in the comfort that God can provide, but also a healthy fear of the Lord. Because it's only when we fear God more than anything else that we can find the one true answer to all of our other fears. To fear God is to acknowledge that He is the one who is in control of all things. He is the creator and he rules over every aspect of his creation. Nothing can happen apart from his will. And therefore he alone is the one we must look to in these times of trouble. Psalm 147 verse 10 through 11 says, His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of the warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. What the psalmist is saying is that God's passion for us is that we would understand the importance of a proper fear of him. Notice the contrast the psalmist is making between trusting in the strength of a horse or the legs of a warrior and putting our fear in God. This is the constant battle that is being waged over our hearts. Where will we place our trust Do we look to our own strength, our own abilities to secure the outcome we want? Or will we put our trust in God, surrendering to his will? No matter what it may be. When we put our fear in other things, it distorts our view of God. One of the most destructive aspects of fear is that it causes us To see God as less. In other words, the more our fear grows in our heart, the more God is diminished, shrinking into the background. Isaiah 57 verse 11, it says, Whom have you so dreaded and feared that you have not been true to me and have neither remembered me nor taken this? To heart. In other words, what God is asking, if I could paraphrase what he's saying through the prophet Isaiah, is what are the fears that have so consumed you that you have forgotten me, that I'm no longer in the picture? This is what fear does to us. It makes God shrink in our eyes. Well, let me ask you another question. What does it mean for us to turn to God? in the midst of this global pandemic. My worry is this, is that all we may want from God is relief from the emotional stress of the fear that is consuming us. God, keep my family safe. Watch over my business, God, so that I I don't have to be so consumed by this endless worry. And the truth is, some of us may not even be struggling with fear all that much, but we're angry or we're frustrated by the disruption that this crisis has caused to just about every aspect of our lives. And so we're praying that God would fix everything and return things to normal so that we can go about our lives like we were before this outbreak ever happened. But if we really understand what it means to fear the Lord, 
then we have to open ourselves to bigger prayers. Prayers that are bigger than just trying to get God to do what, in our wisdom, we think he ought to do for us. Wayne Jacobson, a pastor in California, asked a provocative question. Do you ever refuse a prayer request? He shared about a time when he was in a home small group. And one of the women there shared in great distress about how her daughter was planning to move in with her boyfriend on that very weekend. And she asked him to pray that God would basically do something supernatural to, quote, not allow this to happen. To which Jacobson replied, I don't think I could pray that for you. You see, Jacobson agreed with the mother that if if her daughter did this, it would actually be a really bad thing. But he didn't agree that that's how they ought to pray in light of that situation. He writes, I think all of us here can understand why you want God to stop her from doing that. I'm wondering, however, whether asking God to override someone's ability to make moral choices isn't akin to witchcraft. What I suggest we pray for is that God would reveal himself to your daughter, that he would let her see clearly the choice she is making, and that God will show you how to trust him and love your daughter, even if she makes the stupidest mistake of her young life. And through her tears, the mother blurted out, that's exactly what I need. In that article, Jacobson writes, At most prayer meetings, a host of requests are made. Then a handful of people offer quick prayers until the list is covered. Rarely do we stop to ask if a particular prayer request is in line with what God is doing. While the exercise of prayer itself offers comfort for the moment, I'm afraid many prayer requests teach us to use God like a genie in a bottle. I think these are important words for us in this moment in history. How often are our prayers nothing more than wish lists? Already assuming that we know what God should do. Rather than praying with submission that God's will be done. And praying humbly for us to understand how God is building his kingdom. Even in the midst of these difficult trials. You know, many years ago in the kingdom of Judah, during the reign of King Jehoshaphat, God's people were confronted with terrifying news. Three nations united together to form a massive army for the sole purpose of attacking Judah. And those who, wished, who, who witnessed this advancing army rushed to the king to warn him of the devastation that was about to take place. And Jehoshaphat knew that he was powerless to take on an army of this size. It was pointless. And so he gathered the people together, and as a nation, they fasted and they prayed. And in this prayer, King Jehoshaphat spoke these words. In Second Chronicles chapter 20, 
verse 6 and verse 9. Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. Jehoshaphat knew that not only in this case, but in every crisis of any kind that they would face, that God alone was the one that could deliver them. And so they looked to him for help. Jehoshaphat then closes with these words in verses 12 to 13. Our God, will you not judge them, meaning these nations that have gathered against his people? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. I think we're experiencing the same sense of helplessness that Jehoshaphat felt as a vast army marched toward Jerusalem. And I want to say this, not in a heartless way, but as your pastor. And this is a good thing. It's a good thing. Because God is shattering the illusion of power and control that makes us go through so much of our life with hardly any real sense of need for Him. And I think this global pandemic is a clarifying moment for us as God's people. What is our greatest fear? Where are we looking? for answers to those fears. And I think what the Bible teaches us is that a proper fear of God alone has the power to conquer all our other fears. I pray that in this crisis that we're going through together, our prayers would be more than just a spiritual pacifier that gives us a sense of emotional comfort But in this season, our prayers would be humble prayers of submission that are informed by a fear of the Lord, saying, God, this is your creation. All of this is in your hand, and nothing can happen apart from you allowing it to do so. And God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you because only you can help us. In this time of trouble, let's pray. Father, we echo the prayers of Jehoshaphat. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And so we pray that in this season of experiencing so many different kinds of fear, that we would have a heart of wisdom to understand that what we need more than anything is a healthy fear of you. To acknowledge your rightful place of authority in our lives over not us individually alone, but over the nations and over this world. Our fate is in your hands alone, God. 
And so we look to you for your mercy to help those who are already sick and maybe even on the verge of death and to help all of us who daily may be experiencing exposure to this deadly virus to keep us safe. But even as we pray for our safety, we also pray that through something as difficult as this tragic crisis, you would open our spiritual eyes to see how much we need you and how desperate we are for you. Not only because we're going through this present crisis, but every single day of our lives, how much we are in need of you. And so we ask you, Father, for the grace to know this in our heart of hearts and out of that knowledge to live a life totally surrendered to you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Now receive the benediction. May you dwell in the shelter of the Most High and rest in the shadow of the Almighty. May you say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. May He cover you with His feathers and under His wings may you find refuge. May His faithfulness be your shield and your rampart. Amen.